Hello everyone. Welcome to my show Career Startup Podcast. A podcast to spotlight world-class Asian entrepreneurs, C-suite executives and thought leaders who provide insights from their personal journey to inspire you. And this is your host Priyanka Kumla. I'm here with another exciting and fabulous episode of Career Startup Podcast. Before I unveil our special guest, I'm going to remind you to hit that like button or the share button and subscribe on all the channels that you're viewing. Please follow me Priyanka Komla and a Career Startup Podcast page on LinkedIn for your LinkedIn live notifications. We're also on YouTube at Career Startup Podcast where you can set up email reminders for all our upcoming shows as well as our exclusive specials. We're also on Twitter at Pod Startup. All right, with that being said, we have a very interesting guest on our episode today. She majored in journalism, politics, television, and here she is spreading creativity through improv. Kunur Behal, the CEO of Mindhatch, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Kunur, and we're super excited that you're joining from Seattle here in the U.S. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah. And remind me, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Washington D.C. Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. I used to live there for a long time. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. I have never yeah. been to Seattle, but I yeah. you know it's a beautiful place to be. It's gorgeous. I mean, right now is one of those stereotypical uh, rainy days, but I have to say the stereotype it doesn't live up to the stereotype. The weather here is actually a lot better than people would would let you think. So, uh, but yeah. But today is one of those very rainy days. So. That's pretty fabulous to know, Kunor. I'm super excited to have you on the show because, you know, as somebody who is uh, a business owner herself and who deals with a lot of interesting aspects of, you know, be it putting certain things in your life, mm-hmm. going after your passions, and being so level-headed. <laughs> I'm so inspired by a lot of things that you do, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you onto the show mm-hmm. so people can get to see. how you can really go after things that you love doing and be successful in your own rightful way. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks for that. I mean, I'm sure we'll dive a lot deeper into that, but I I have to say it's something that I wasn't always capable of. I definitely grew up being a perfectionist and just kind of very used to being good at things, which I think had the unintentional effect of making me risk averse to things that I didn't know I would already be good at uh like improv and um um so I wasn't always that way but I I definitely became that way and I think I didn't you know hindsight is 2020 right and so I didn't really notice that becoming a part of my character like the ability to quit and view that as a positive thing until after I had a couple of quits under my belt and I really started to kind of strongly identify with like oh wait this is This is good. This is how I'm making my life what I want it to be. So um so mine's definitely one of like not being born that way, you know, but I think kind of um learning when the chips are down that sometimes that is the best the best option. Yeah. You know, that's the best part of transformation we all mm-hmm. want to love from. And I'm really excited because having someone who is an improv pro on my show and <laughs> I'm super excited to see how the freewheeling conversation is going to go about. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we always say like everyone is an improviser. Like every conversation you have with someone, you're doing a lot of improv things like responding and reacting and active listening and you're using your associative brain, you know, and so so yeah, so this this might be just like a human to human conversation as opposed to a human to improviser conversation, but um but yeah, I it's definitely something that I I think because I enjoy 
all those things about improv, it, it also makes me enjoy like fluid conversations like the one we're going to have. So super cool to our listeners. I wanted to remind you, please drop in a quick hello and where you're tuning from. So we get a chance to see you as well. So put that comment in the comment box. And we have an exclusive special with Kunur. She's going to offer a free exclusive one-on-one -on -one mentoring session for one lucky winner who's going to ask a question or leave a comment. So let's see if we can get somebody on the show with an awesome question. If not, we'll keep it open mm -hmm. after the show release as well. So yeah. Kunur, thanks so much for oh, spending yeah. a valuable time in connecting with our guests outside of the podcast. No problem. I love doing that. Like I have a whole separate Calendly event just for that because I enjoy doing it so much and I, you know, people reach out to me at random to have those kinds of conversations. So I'm always happy to do that. So yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. With that being said, I'm going to give a wonderful overview of who Kunur is. So Kunur is the founder and CEO of Mind Hatch, which is a Seattle based company that specializes in getting companies and organizations better results with creativity. She's an expert in design thinking, organizational improv. I'm really curious about that. <laughs> Innovation, facilitation and diversity and inclusion. And she has lectured in improvisational leadership at George Washington University School of Business. She's also received the prestigious GovLab Public Sector Innovation Fellowship while she was an innovation consultant at Deloitte and was named a starting block fellow back in 2010. She's on the board of advisors for the Tombolo Institute at Bellevue College's design thinking program and on the board of directors of street entrepreneurs. Some of her clients include Starbucks, Capital One, YWCA, and SAP Conqueror. Kunur, such an impressive profile, and I'm super excited on three specific things uh, which I wanted to highlight with our listeners. One is the way Kunur thinks about quitting. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to talk a little bit deeper about the context behind quitting, mm -hmm. but she had a very interesting quote that she shared, which is, quitting isn't impulsive or it's not an act of failure. It's a strategy. And it's progress towards what you really want in your life. And that's something that I'm going to delve deeper into our podcast mm -hmm. as well. And a couple of other things that we'll be highlighting as part of our show is if you're a company or an organization, we always think that creativity may not be part of our expertise, but you can get better results with creativity and Kuno shows you the way. Mm -hmm. And the other aspect is, can you really find joy when you're giving up on certain aspects of your life? And that's a very human to human conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the three key highlights that we're going to talk about, as well as unveil the real side of Kunur as well, the fun <laughs> thing that she does. And you know, it's going to be a super exciting conversation. <laughs> you might find that there's no not real side of me. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> and that's what the podcast is about, right? Yeah, so yeah. Really deep if there's some aspect that you may yeah. not have realized. Yeah, totally. All right, so let me get started with this, um, Kunur. You know, having seen your work, one thing that comes up is you always take a yes approach to life, and that reflects in your business as well. Tell us a little bit more about how do you have this very positive mindset in life? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, 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 I find it so. I find your question itself so interesting because you you named it as being a very positive thing, and it's interesting. I think if you spoke to any of my friends, they wouldn't necessarily call me like a effervescent optimist, you know, or I'm not like full of sunshine and rainbows all the time. You know, I definitely have a very sarcastic, skeptical streak, you know, but, but you're totally right. The, the saying yes to things and opportunities that come your way is definitely an act of 
positivity in the sense that it's an act of progress. You know, it's about the act of adding something to your life rather than negating something or removing something. Um, and so I think it's certainly connected with my kind of now decade uh, performing improv comedy. But I, I honestly think that I was a little bit of a yes person even before I started doing improv. Like I was always very active in like school activities and I, I kind of chalk it up to me just being easily excitable, you know? Like my instinct is to say yes to something rather than no, you know? And I, I definitely know people whose instincts are no, let me think about it or just no period. Whereas for me, it's like, yes, that's really exciting. I will say yes to that right now. And so um, I think I've kind of always been that person. I've always been pretty curious and just like interested in many different things. And um, possibly part of it is being uh, uh, easily flattered. <laughs> so if someone asks me to do something, I get very excited about that. Um, but but yeah, the, the improv piece of it, I think really gave kind of like a framework and a mindset, you know, for how I always was, but then also converting that kind of mindset into what improvisers do on stage, which is like live in the moment co-creation with very little information, right? And um, yeah, and so even though I think I was always naturally a yes person, I certainly had to do training and improv, you know, to kind of, you know, make that work on stage with a team, yeah. That's awesome, Kunur. Thanks so much for giving us a little more context behind mm -hmm. how you arrived to saying yes on certain things. Mm -hmm. I'm going to acknowledge some of our listeners who've tuned in. There's Anu Bhatt, who's tuned in from Princeton, New Jersey. Hey, Anu, welcome to the show. Hi, Anu. So here's something that I'm very curious about with Mindhatch. Mm -hmm. You're one of the rare firms that is equal parts business and creativity mm -hmm. because you balance strategically the real world requirements with the what if possibilities. Mm -hmm. How did Mindhatch hatch itself? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I honestly owe a lot of it to my time at Deloitte Consulting. So uh, my, my kind of story into innovation is um, pretty circuitous. So my, my first career after graduate school was in um, international nonprofit development. So I was working at an NGO. Um, I did not have a good time with the culture and the morals of, the, of that industry. And so something that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life doing ended up being barely two years, right? Um, because I realized it, I had reached my limit, you know, with, with that field. Um, but the, the good thing that was born out of that time was that I got really interested in social innovation and social entrepreneurship. And that's what really led me to think, oh, I should get some private sector experience, you know? And, and so I went to Deloitte Consulting uh, to do that. And my initial goal was, I'm gonna go get some business experience and then I'm gonna take it back to the social sector again. Well, I got there and I was very fortunate. I did get to work in innovation for much of my time there. But what I realized about myself was that I really liked doing innovation and pursuing intentional productive change in any sector. You know, So I became more passionate about the methods of innovation um, rather than say the sector that I would be delivering for. And so that's what I realized about myself during that time. Um, and so while I was there, I got to learn, practice, and teach design thinking. Um, it was totally my colleagues who, when they learned that I was doing improv comedy after hours as a hobby, they were the ones who came to me and said, hey, we've been reading in HBR that improv is helpful for business. Can you come and like 
do like a workshop for my client team, you know? And so it was totally because of my colleagues that I even learned there was a connection between what I was doing for fun after hours and with my work and their work. Um, and yeah, and then I also was like a trained facilitator there and did a lot of facilitation work. Um, so really a lot of the things that I do through MindTouch were things that I started to do from a professional development standpoint while I was at Deloitte. Um, so I definitely owe a lot of credit to my time there and being able to discover these things and really discover that I was passionate enough about them to want to leave and do it full time. That's pretty awesome. And I'm so glad people took notice of your improv skills. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I wasn't even, as I say, out of the closet to my friends. I didn't tell my friends that I was doing improv for a year and a half because I was terrified of people who knew me coming to see me perform. Um, but I was out with it at, at work because I thought, oh, none of these people are going to come see me perform. So there's like no risk, you know? And so it ended up being a very good disclosure because a lot of opportunities opened up for me um, at work because of it. That's pretty cool. Now, you're 100% women-driven and minority-owned. Mm -hmm. Tell me this, Kunur, how does it feel to be an Asian entrepreneur, especially in these hard-hitting pandemic times where budgets are very hard for organizations? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I don't know if I've been a little, uh, what's the word I want to use, protected, but I, in just kind of observing this year, obviously, the very beginning of the pandemic, I like everyone else was terrified. I thought, okay, I'm not going to make another dollar the entire year. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but now that the year is kind of coming to a close, it's actually resembled a little bit more of a normal average year than I would have anticipated. And it's one of those things I'm still trying to observe where I think, I think like what we're learning right now is that the white collar economy of which I am very much a part of is way less affected than other parts of the, of the economy. Uh, in terms of like work and labor, um, that of course might shift. You know, um, we might be a lagging indicator, but um, um, but you know, I think this year has been surprisingly um, similar. I think in terms of number of clients and revenue, which has been really. I'm gonna. I'm not superstitious, but even I'm gonna knock on wood. <laughs> and um, um, but you know, the biggest shift has just been, you know, doing everything virtually now, as opposed to live and in person and in groups, which is how I would deliver uh, most often before. Um, but I think like, this is a reminder for me that honestly, like I wanted to found MindHatch because it really felt like the only way that I, as a woman, as an Asian American, I felt like working for myself was going to be the only way I could ever work in a meritocracy, you know? And so I think I'm grateful for that this year, especially, you know, that even though yes, owning a business is risky, you have to be comfortable with uncertainty, financial and otherwise, I still like in my control, you know, I'm still not, you know, victim to the whims of somebody else, you know, or an organizational structure that's not necessarily built around, you know, um, you know, lifting up diverse voices, you know, and so I think this year, honestly, has been just like, I feel very grateful that I am working for myself. Yeah. You know, that's a great mindset shift in terms of having a stable job and a career. Mm -hmm. But when you have times like these, where layoffs are just the norm, yeah. you know, I'm so glad you've pivoted into, you know, a career where you're in control of where you want to see yourself grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that is like, 
you know, I mean, even in my previous careers, there were like pay freezes and hiring freezes. And, you know, we're going to go to like a bonus only model, but like bonuses get taxed far more, you know, than your base salary. And so there's just a lot of things where it just felt like, oh, there's way too many people and options to like toy with my livelihood, <laughs> you know? And so, so I feel like, you know, with Mindhatch, it's like if I have a bad month or a bad year, it's on me, you know, it's on me to problem solve. It's on me to figure it out. And I don't uh, you know, have to be, you know, subject to the capriciousness of like other people's ideas. So, yeah. so as an entrepreneur, what do you say to yourself during uncertain times when you have these low moments as to where your next business is going to come from? Mm -hmm. You know, I am definitely what's coming to mind right now in the moment. It's kind of silly, but you know, in Finding Nemo, the character of Dory, mm -hmm. she's like just keep swimming, it. just keep swimming. I know, I love, I love the Pixar movies. Um, um, that's kind of how I am, for better or worse. I'm not necessarily advocating that everyone be as much of a busybody <laughs> doer as I am, but I really get relief and a sense of security in kind of taking action. You know, like I'm definitely not someone who um, needs to sit and think about something for two weeks before taking action. Like for me, like in times of uncertainty or stress, it's like a, a cause to like just take action on something, like just keep feeding the beast as I so as I, as I often refer to my company as, you know? And so I think that's how I really manage it. It's like, okay, I just, I believe that experiment, continuing to experiment and continuing to put things out there and continuing to do the work you know, is going to snowball and is going to work, even if it's not like an immediate ROI, like tomorrow, you know, it's, it's building a foundation for something that's going to make things easier, you know, a year from now or three years from now. And, you know, I'm currently in my seventh year of having my hatch, you know, and so I also feel lucky that I'm a little bit more mature in the business at a time like the pandemic, you know, if I were in year one or year two, it might be a different story, you know, but I, I really feel like this year especially is really bearing the fruit of the previous year's labor of kind of doing that, feeding the beast, you know, and just um, continuing to do that no matter what happens. I love the go-getter spirit that you have, Kudur, mm -hmm. and I can relate to what you're saying because I'm someone who always needs to do something rather yeah. than just sit and, you know, feel resentment about something that's beyond yeah. your control. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's a real like, it's funny because you, we talked, we, we used the word control earlier about, you know, me, why I wanted to like have my own business, but I'm also not like a very controlling person, you know, like I love to delegate things. You know, I, I started Mindtouch because I, I like to collaborate with people, not because I want to have everything on my shoulders, you know, so it is this interesting juxtaposition of, of controlling the things that you can control, but also having that liberation of like knowing what you can't control right and like not worrying about that because you can't do anything about it and so kind of focusing on what you do have influence over that's pretty cool and i want to put a quick reminder for our listeners who are just tuning in please drop a hello and where you're tuning in from mm -hmm. and drop in a question or a comment as we go through this episode and one lucky winner is going to get a free exclusive mentoring session with kunur so mm -hmm. put your thinking hats on for that Kunur, something that uh, I'm really curious about is the remote teamwork. Mm -hmm. You know, that seems to be the norm with the pandemic. Yeah. What are you doing through Mindhatch to help organizations really get more productive with remote teams? 
Yeah. So right now we're definitely trying to put a lot of like writing out there and like tips and like things to do. You know, if you go to the Mind Hatch blog, you can see that we're definitely trying to like put out into the world, you know, like free ideas for how to kind of uh, make that make a remote culture work for you. Um, I think right now my sense is that people are right now just kind of getting accustomed to all the tools and the changes, you know, and like the, the schedules and like the taking care of family as well. Um, and so I, I think the next level is going to be kind of, okay, just because we're no longer in an office, we still have a company culture, you know, like that still is existing. And so how, what can we do to influence it in a positive way? And how does it need to be different than now that people are all remote compared to like being in person, you know? And so, um, so we're just kind of like doing some consultation with clients in that way and, and giving some kind of like um, advice on things to think about, maybe like, you know, ways to um, assess what the culture is like, really kind of tap into like talking to your employees and engaging them in the process, you know? Um, um, so yeah, but so for right now, it's a lot of just kind of putting our thoughts and our lessons learned out into the world um, on, on remote work. But I think it's definitely, it's definitely one of those occasions in, in life when, you know, you can't simply just replicate what you had, you know, in real life and you can't just find, okay, what are the remote versions of that? You know, it's, it's, it's more different, you know, you have to pivot a little bit more extremely even, you know, to kind of, go to where your employees are and really understand what their day-to-day -day is like and what they need and when they need it. Um, but also provide a little bit of, um, you know, a bottom-up approach as well. You know, not just like enforced scheduled fun all the time, you know, <laughs> like let people also have some decision-making power in how and when they need you know, collaboration, how and when they need community, you know, how and when they need support and help you bring up a very good point, Kunor, and you know the pandemic has really opened the eyes of leadership from looking at people just as a headcount or just a resource, more as a human who has a lot yeah. of uh, you know adjustments you'll have to do to adapt to this new normal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know that phrase like "new normal" is so interesting. Like we're also hearing a lot about when we get back to normal, and it's like, well. Where we were before the pandemic wasn't working for a lot of people. A lot of people, either. right? It's just <laughs> yeah. vocal about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I am not a parent, you know, but I have so much admiration and awe uh, for people who are parents at any time in history, let alone during a pandemic. Um, I don't know how anyone does it, you know. And so, so you know, the the normal before was not working either, you know. And so, if I can be so bold as to say that something positive can and should come out of this period in our history. I really hope it is about, you know, what we refer to as work-life balance, right? Or like, you know, getting rid of some of the artifices of working in an office. You know, I think so much of, so much of why we work in offices and how we work in offices, I have observed are still just really rooted in like an older economy that most of us no longer work in. It's like a, a factory, widget mentality you know and um you know like we're not uh at least in white collar professions you know we are not assembly line workers you know but there's still so much that has been borrowed from that kind of work that still exists you know and so 
I'm hoping that the pandemic serves as kind of like a, a positive disruption to really think, okay, how are we going to be different afterward as opposed to how quickly can we get back to what we had before? Because what we had before, especially in America, is not tenable. I love that analogy that you uh, brought mm -hmm. about. We're not assembly line workers. And that actually made me think because we consider that as the norm. And mm -hmm. I think this pandemic has really you know, helped us open our eyes into the fact that you know, there's gig economy. People want to do more freelance. People want flexible yeah. schedules. And this is just a nice way to bring all of that into a cultural change at organizations. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, how might you, how might you replicate that sense of autonomy, but like while being a salaried worker, you know, like how can you, yeah, yeah. And sorry, my dog is walking behind right now. You know, I just want to say, yeah, I want to interview. Is that Nika? This is Nika. Yeah, this is Nika. Hi, you son. want to say something about uh, Nika? I know he's a uh, Bernese Mountain dog. Oh, yes, yeah. She's a Bernese Mountain dog and she's the love of my life. Um, yeah, I was away from her for like two and a half weeks until yesterday. So, yeah. Hey, come here. Come here, Nika. Yeah. It's, it's nice it's nice to have you know special guests on our show as well yes so, yeah here she is <laughs> hey nika hi i'm actually super excited to have nika wag her tail as she walks around <laughs> yeah i know at a certain point it looks like it's my tail that's wagging just from the perspective yeah <laughs> no actually actually that, that i'm gonna agree with that <laughs> she's happy so yeah you know why not yeah she's a happy puppy yeah <laughs> so Tell me this, organizational improv, mm -hmm. that's the first time I'm hearing a word, and I know it's, it's also trademarked. Tell us a little bit more about what it means. And then the other aspect I wanted to dig a little bit deeper is, how does that play a critical role as part of diversity and inclusion at organizations? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, organizational improv is um, kind of my mind hatches phraseology for you know bringing the behaviors and skills and mindsets of improvisational theater and improvisational comedy to the workplace. Um, so it's also known by, uh, so the, the professional organization of people who do what I just described, uh, you know, using improv for things that are not performance um, is called applied improvisation. And so that's kind of like the global professional organization that I belong to. And, you know, in that group, you have people who are doing kind of corporate training. You have people who are doing um, improv in hospitals. You have people who are using improv for like um, disaster preparedness and crisis relief. So a lot of different applications um, for improv. Um, so organizational improv is just the, the mind hatch term for bringing improvisation um, into the workplace, um, corporate, nonprofit, whatever, whatever it is. Um, and what it tends to look like for us is, um, you know, uh, doing professional skills building and skills training. Um, you know, we have use improvisation as the teaching and learning methodology to train teams in customer service, um, in leadership skills, in innovation and creativity skills, um, being better collaborators. Um, and oftentimes it's a really, uh, it's a push to kind of change the culture of work um, among a team or within an organization. So improv can be a very good um, uh, asset and a really good behavior modality, you know, to kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, motivate your your people to have, but also reward them for having it. Um, so yeah, we do a lot of that. We also have some other kind of more programmatic kind of uses for improv. So using improv as kind of a behavioral interviewing method for when you're assessing candidates for a job position. 
Um, yeah, and then we, of course, you know, are also uh, as of this year using it for diversity and inclusion um, uh, results as well. So let me ask you, how are organizations uh, receiving organizational improv as a training methodology? What's the kind of reception that you're getting from them? Yeah, you know, so I've been doing it for like seven, eight years. Like I said, I started doing it at Deloitte, actually. And I think the um, the attraction to it is definitely that it is different and it is experiential, you know. So um, I think, you know, I think for sure, you know, training in companies has evolved a great deal. But I, I think it's still what we think of is, you know, um, an expert or a lecturer or a trainer coming in and like going through some PowerPoint slides. And it's very kind of one way passively received, you know, and it, you know, I'm going to be very sim simplistic right now. I don't mean to insult people who are experts in this, but it might end up being kind of the equivalent of like, oh, I'm going to tell you how to do this better but not show you or give you the experiential, you know, um, experience of actually of actually doing it. So improv is definitely attractive to clients because it is experiential. Um, it's a transference of, of really useful skills, but also, um, you know, as I always tell clients, you know, like the, the, the team building aspect of it always comes along for the ride, you know, like even if you're working on something very serious, team building will come come as well. So you really get this like group um, energizing spirit. Um, people are being authentic and vulnerable in the moment. Um, they are collaborating in the moment. They're really having an opportunity to embody the optimal skills and behaviors that you want them to have afterward. And I think that is sometimes rare, you know, in, in a training environment, um, but improv, that's the only way you can do improv. It's just you have to do it, you know? And so it's it's by nature very experiential and experimental. Um, and so I think that is definitely the allure that the, the delivery method is very different and unique from what people usually experience. Um, but also it's a very like human to human kind of like learning, you know, like you are interacting with your with your peers as and looking them in the eyes, you know, and getting to know them as opposed to maybe sitting in a classroom style and staring at a PowerPoint slide, you know? And so it's very um, engaging in that way for a group as well. Yeah. I love the methodology that you use, especially for Ooh. your delivery, because I've sat in a lot of training sessions and most of the times it's a PowerPoint slide or you have a worksheet where you're given yeah. a specific amount of time to just do it all by yourself. Mm. So it's impressive that it's more like real world conversations. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's conversation. It's also kind of taking people through activities, right? So very activity based. Um, and, and one thing that I think is um, uh, uh, a line in the sand that I have drawn for my attach is that, you know, a lot of um, potential clients, they're really nervous. And, and the thing that makes people the most nervous is, oh, am I going to have to perform or act in front of my colleagues, you know? And there definitely are, um, you know, corporate trainers out there who do have groups do that. Um, I, from day one, has said, no, like, I'm not going to make a, 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 a workplace team do improv scenes or be characters or, like, you know, watch each other while they wait for their turn because, in my mind, you know, I'm not being brought in to do improv with your team to make them good improvisers. Like they don't need to be good at improvising on stage the way that I do with my teams, you know, that I, I do, I play with after hours. Um, what really is a purpose is is um, getting the experience and, and being able to 
being able to identify where you can take this in your work, right? So I always tell people at the start of sessions or even before if they need to have their fears allayed even earlier, that there will be no acting, there'll be no performing. And in fact, how you will get the best out of this session, the most out of the session is if you just come and if you are more yourself than you've ever been in a work environment before, right? So it's even the opposite of like acting. You know, like we don't want you to act. We want you to just be yourself, you know, and um, and be yourself and see what shows up for you, see what things are challenging for you, see what things are easy for you. Um, and then we really work as a group through like debriefs to identify like, okay, in your workplace context, where can you as an individual or where can you as a, as a group really start using these skills and using these behaviors and, um, and because they've had the experience of doing it, they kind of, they have the positive connotations with like the results that can happen from it. What is one advice you would have for organizations to embrace improv as part of their work culture? Yeah, I think my, my biggest tip would be um, to make it a ritual, like make it, um, do it with some regularity. Whether that regularity is once every six months or once a week, just, just make it a part of your culture. You know, I think um, uh, I certainly very happily work with clients who like, we want like a four hour session at our retreat and great, awesome. You know, we can definitely do some really wonderful things in that four hours. But if you are really, really serious about, about changing your culture, right? And setting a new, different and better tone, you know, I think you really need to do it as a practice. You know, like I think what, I, what I'm usually fond of saying is that, you know, if you went to one yoga class, you wouldn't then declare yourself a yogi, right? You wouldn't declare yourself like a guru of, of yoga. You know, it's the same thing with improv. You know, if you if you do one workplace improv experience, you know, you're not like an expert at knowing how to apply it, right? So it really is this like iterative behavioral change, you know, that, that you want to want to seek out. So that would be my one recommendation is to really look at it seriously as an iterative experience and a, and a ritual that you might be able to add. Thank you, that's a great way to look at things. And I'm gonna remind our listeners, I'm curious to know, what do you feel when you, heard the word, when you hear the word improv? Like, do you feel nervous or anxious about it? And what's that feeling that uh, stops you from actually performing or embracing this as a ritual? So please drop in a comment uh, about your challenges when you hear the word improv. Now, the best part about this is, your book that's coming up soon. Oh. <laughs> I quit. I quit the life affirming joy of giving up. And to our listeners, it's going to be published by New Degree Press in April 2021. And it's currently available for pre-sale. Now, Kunur, I wanted to ask you, you've interviewed a lot of people about the joy of giving up. Tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about the book. Yeah, so the book is definitely um, a, a personal passion project that really came to my mind years ago and I never thought I'd do anything with it. And then just kismet happened earlier this year and I got the opportunity to like get some support in, in writing the book. Um, but the, the genesis of the book is, um, it's kind of twofold. So, you know, we referenced earlier that like my own life, especially my career has really benefited from, you know, having the self-knowledge and self-awareness to like know when to leave something behind, you know, and and each quit that I made was propelling me exponentially closer to where I wanted to be, right? Um, and so I knew that about myself um, by the time I had quit my job at Deloitte to found MindTouch. Now, when I started MindTouch, which actually I started in Washington, D.C. when I lived there, um, I was 
I didn't know what to do. I was like a first time entrepreneur and I was like, let me just talk to as many people as I can, you know? So I would um, go on so many, just like kind of coffee chats with people. And, and, you know, I don't know if this is a DC thing. I kind of think it's an American thing, but you know, when you're meeting someone for the first time in a, in a work context, you kind of just do like this recitation of your resumes, you know, like, oh, this, I did this and then I did this and now I'm doing this. And I found myself like probably rudely interrupting the person I was talking to whenever they would say, oh, then I quit that job or then I left that city. I would say, oh, wait, 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 tell me, tell me why, like back up. I want to know why, why you left that, you know? And I, and I found us um, digging deeper um, ever so slightly into people's quitting stories and why they left things was a great way to like really understand someone really quickly, you know, and get past the fluff, you know, and really kind of understand like, what their values were, what their trade-offs were, you know, what they were willing to put up with and not willing to put up with in in various circumstances in life. And um, so I was, I was really just tickled by like hearing people's quitting stories, you know? And um, so the idea was kind of born from those experiences as well as my own. And I kind of figured, there's gotta be more people like me out there, you know, <laughs> who have, who have, quit and not felt the stigma or the shame that society you know places on it or even if they have felt the stigma and the shame they've done it and they've been way better off for it you know and so um so the the book um i quit the life affirming joy of giving up is a collection of stories so i interviewed uh over 30 people um about their quitting stories spanning jobs and careers uh uh, friendships and relationships, uh, stories about quitting identities, uh, stories about quitting places, um, quitting aspirations and quitting habits. Um, so those are kind of like, at least right now in draft form, the sections of the book. Um, and um, yeah, and so I talked to them. And so the book is a, a is primarily, I think I'd say about 90% telling these stories. Um, and then maybe a 10% my own kind of personal narrative, memoirish kinds of additions um, within those stories. That's pretty great, uh, Kunur. Now, I wanted to ask the listeners, what is something that you've quit in your life or you intend to quit? You know, just in mm -hmm. a word or two, let us know. You know, that's just, you know, fuel for thought on, you know, some of the challenges that we face when giving up. Mm -hmm. And you've actually put in a different spin to it, Kunu, because when we give up on things, it's always a negative connotation. You feel yeah. like you didn't invest in something mm -hmm. to see it successful. But you have a narrative where you feel it's okay to quit and you can still feel happy about it. Yeah. And like, dare I say, people should maybe congratulate you when you quit something, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, um, yeah, and I think it's like, I mean, I, it's not to say that every quitting, quitting event is a good one, right? There's certainly always going to be times when you quit for maybe the wrong reasons or you have regrets about it. But I think, I think the important thing is that, you know, I just really, I never wanted to live my life with inertia and I don't want others to live their lives with inertia either. You know, I think we, we are all across cultures that I've learned in, in, from writing this book really subscribe to this like puritanical work ethic, you know, that really prioritizes commitment and sticking things out, you know, and not failing and being perfect over 
like recognizing what's actually going to make us happy. Right. And, um, and so I, I really, I would really want people to read this book and either feel justified by the things that they quit, you know, and have a new lens to view that through or to even be inspired to quit something. Because, you know, I think if you know enough about yourself and like I said before, your values and your trade-offs and what your belief systems are, if you know enough about that, you know when something is no longer serving you or you know when something is has become toxic for you, you know, and there should not be shame in knowing yourself enough to make a strong decision in your life, you know? And I think as I, as I write in the introduction of the book, I feel like our society has really fooled us into, into assuming that given the choice of staying where we are now or making a strong decision to quit that thing and do something else, society has really fooled us into thinking that staying put is less risky. You know, and like, who's to say that that is less risky? You know, like it's it's you make your own decision, right? Depending on the parameters yeah. that you can tolerate or cannot tolerate. Exactly, but like, but staying put has risks as well, right? At just like not staying put does, you know. And I think we've we've let ourselves be fooled into thinking one is less risky than the other, when in fact we just don't know, right? And so, you know, I mentioned earlier that I do a lot of like mentorship chats or kind of like career chats with people. And over the years, I found myself telling a lot of people who were at this, um, you know, pivotal moment of deciding to do something or not to do something. And I find myself saying, you know, well, it's a risk if you do, and it's a risk if you don't, you know? And so if those things are equal, like what would you rather do? So what is one thing that you've quit and you feel proud of that you can share with our listeners? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm proud. I'm honestly proud of almost every one of my quits. Um, I think, I think honestly, the, the, the one that is most recent is also the most personal. So I actually quit my marriage in the past one year. And I'm quite proud of that, as I think I, you know, left it on the table, did what I could to make it what I needed it to be. Um, but have not shed a tear since making the decision. You know, I think it was because I had this profound sense of who I am and what I need. And, and you know, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, quite, I'm quite proud of that because that also kind of flies in the face of a lot of other, you know, societal and cultural practices. <laughs> and, you know, um, and I think just um, shows, well, it was a good reminder for me that I have, a lot of self-worth and self-esteem and i'm proud of i'm proud of that moment mostly because unlike previous relationships it did not um it did not uh make my self-esteem or sense of self-worth diminish yeah i was able to retain that throughout the whole the whole time yeah we're so proud of you kunor for oh, sharing that personal yeah. moment <laughs> yeah. as well and it yeah. gives a lot of inspiration to people depending on the situation that they're in, because self-worth is very important in all our lives. And yeah. if you don't consider that, who else is going to do it? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think it also ties in with like, I've always been someone who's very much like, if you, if you don't ask for something, you're not going to get it, you know? And, um, and so I've always been very clear in like what I need, you know? And so, um, so that like allows me to have like no regrets around, almost all of the quitting quitting stories that I have had. Yeah. You know, that makes us realize you only have one life to live. So why don't you live a happy life 
based yeah. on what you want to get out of it. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I think like we're, I think we hear a lot of times like, oh, life's too short. And I remember like, I remember a moment when I was like telling my older brother about, you know, me deciding to to get divorced. And and he was like, yeah, you know, like life's just too short to be unhappy. And I, and I instinctively was like, no, life's too long. I was like, life is too long to like keep doing something that you know is making you unhappy, you know? And, and I, that's of course coming from a privileged standpoint of being like, you know, in the United States and probably knowing I'm less than midway through my life, you know, and it seems like there's a lot of life left to live, you know? And so um, I know that's not the case for everyone around the world, but um, but for me, it was like, no, life is too long. And that's why I need to make this decision now. Because, you know, if I were, if I were stuck in a crappy job and I knew I was going to pass away in three months, like, yeah, stay in that crappy job, you know? But if you know you have 40 years left of your life, you know, it's like, life is long, you know? And um, I think that um, should be very motivating to like, okay, how many things can you do in that amount of time? Yeah. It's all perspective. And I'm so yeah. glad you've made moves that are more valuable to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So to our listeners, uh, I've posted the link to the book. It's iquitbook.com. So you can get some sneak peek exclusively uh, about Kuno's upcoming book. And as well as get some free resources as part of the process. Yeah, yeah, if you sign up at iquitbook.com, um, I'll be kind of uh, sharing some kind of exclusive things um, about the book and from the book and also asking for your help on important things like what should my book cover design be? I would love input on that as well. Um, and uh, the pre-sale um, should be beginning in about a week or so. I'm still kind of waiting to hear from my publisher about what I need to do to set that up. But I think the goal is within the next week, um, uh, the book will be available for pre-order as well. Thank you. We're super excited for the book. And it's a perfect reminder for our listeners to like us on LinkedIn, our Career Startup Podcast page, so we can continue to stay in touch with Kunur as well as get to know her upcoming book and be the cheerleader squad for you as well. No, thank you so much. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's definitely, I have a publisher, but the the kind of the marketing and promotion is definitely a, a one woman job. So I, I definitely appreciate any any audience and community support. Hey, that's why we're here to support you <laughs> and you. amplify Asian voices. I wanted to acknowledge a couple of quick comments from our listeners as we've been going into this improv mode of freewheeling conversation. We spoke about improv itself, and there are a couple of comments on that. So it's from Janani Rangarajan. Mm -hmm. Hey, Janani. Very unique and exciting concept, organizational improv itself. Mm -hmm. Anubad says, I think of theater and do have fear of stage presence. What is mm -hmm. one tip you can give to Anu on this? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, uh, having taught improv for a long time as well, um, the fear of public speaking or presenting is often what brings people to like a first level improv class because they want to get more accustomed with speaking off the cuff and used to their voice, you know? And so I think there's definitely uh, one, I know you're not alone, uh, that a lot of people do have that, that fear. Um, and I think, you know, having, having used improv to kind of train people in, in presentation skills, um, a couple of things come to mind. Um, one is just know your content. Like if you are the expert on what you're presenting on, um, what improvisational skills can help you with is to, I think a lot of our fear in presenting is 
our fear is that we're going to screw up what we've prepared, right? And so I think if you just know your content so well and you have confidence that you know your content, improv can really help you be okay with if like the slide doesn't work or if you forgot to say something on the previous slide. You know, it allows you kind of to adapt in the moment and have that kind of fluid communication and um, still get all your points across even if it wasn't in the way that you planned. So I think that's what it can give a lot of confidence for is just that, okay, if everything else goes to shit, I'm still okay because I have these skills and I have this knowledge, so yeah. Thank you for those wonderful tips for yeah. Anu and um, hope you find them useful, Anu. Yeah. We also have Rubinia Borge who's joining us from Denton, Texas. Hi. And Jenny has a couple of comments about improv. It's very challenging because one, you have to be very spontaneous, mm -hmm. two, be very funny and creative. But mm -hmm. I love people who can do it because it's very impressive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It definitely does require spontaneity for sure because you kind of don't have any choice, right? It's like the epitome of of being able to take action in the absence of complete information. Um, and on the on the be funny thing, you know, it's interesting, you know, in the style of improv that I do, which is called long form improv, um, we actually do a lot of work in like trying to, not trying to be funny, you know, because I think the conditions are set up so that no matter what, the funny will come, you know? And so we really focus more on the skills of like, you know, being a good team's support player and identifying patterns and games and, you know, being good listeners and being able to yes and an idea, you know? And, and I think it's like, if you, if you do all those things, funny is going to come no matter what, because how could it not? Like it's unprepared, it's unscripted. It's a lot of just like natural human instincts that you're seeing on stage, you know? And so, um, um, so yeah, it, it's definitely challenging. One of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite reactions to when I told someone um, that I was doing improv and what it was, was actually my bridal shower years ago. I told one of my aunties, um, she was like, oh, I hear you're doing improv, tell me what that is. And I told her, you know, kind of the basics, you know, that, oh, you know, I have a team and we might ask the audience for like a one word suggestion. And then using only that suggestion, we'll build a world and characters and scenes and, you know, and make it funny. And she just had this like, like, stricken look on her face and she was just like why would anyone do that like that was her reaction and I was like you know I don't have an answer for you it did, when you when I describe it it does sound like so challenging that you're like why would you put yourself in that position but it's also um very magical and it's wonderful to work in a team that way where like the assumption is you are going to support each other and you really work to build that skill right collaboration is key yeah Thank you, Jenny, for that awesome comment as well. We have a fun rapid fire round as we are nearing the end of the episode. Okay. Are you ready for it, Kunur? Oh my goodness, yes, yes. I mean, no, but now I am, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's always nice to watch improv or stand-up comedy from a distance, right? So mm -hmm. now I have a face-to-face -face conversation and I can actually <laughs> you know, figure out how this works in mm -hmm. real time. So you tell me the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the following in one word, role model. Oh. Question mark. That's what comes to mind. <laughs> Who's your favorite improv performer? Oh, there's a lot. There are some really, really, really good performers, especially in New York and LA. Um, 
by name, I'm going to go ahead and, and say Thomas Middleditch. He was also like the lead role in the HBO show Silicon Valley. Um, he's what uh, me and other amateur improvisers have always said, like improv famous, because before he got famous, he was like very famous amongst our kind of tribe of people. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, he's he's pretty incredible. Yeah. Thank you for Je thank you, Jenny, for that question as well. What does success mean to you? Success to me means uh, autonomy and freedom. What does happiness mean to you? Laughter. What is one fun thing about you that you haven't shared with anyone and it's exclusive to our podcast listeners? <laughs> this is hard because in other settings, my one fun thing is that I do improv, but this whole conversation was about me doing improv. A uh, fun thing about me. Oh, okay. Well, I can actually see it on my screen. So I love building Lego sets. So oh, um, yeah, I these are not moving boxes. These are just um, Lego sets that I bought in the pandemic and they got too busy to build. So I have kind of like a backlog of Lego sets to make um, and one right off screen you can't see right here that I haven't finished as yet. Um, yeah, so I really, really enjoy getting those like um, Lego sets that are for adults that are like, you know, 3000 pieces, you know, and um, and they you make something that you like want to like display, you know, like, um, or at least I want to uh, display it. So um, yeah, that's something I like to do. Yeah. What better way to instill creativity? Yeah, it's this really nice thing. Cause like I mentioned earlier, I'm a little bit of like a busy body. My mind's always working. And so I really like Legos because it, it's addictive, first of all. So I can kind of like put everything aside and not be multitasking and just focus on this one thing but still get that like joy and fun and also that like sense of accomplishment, you know? And so it's, it's, it's a, a kind of like meditative. Yeah. I know it's, it's very therapeutic too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One final question. What is your native language and one word to describe Kunur in her native language? Um, my native language is English. Um, but my parents, my dad spoke Punjabi and my dad, my mom speaks Hindi. And so the word I'll use is, maybe a Punjabi word? I don't know. Um, yeah, it, was, it was my nickname from the time I was very young, which is Pataki, which means firecracker. <laughs> That's a wonderful way to sum up this episode. <laughs> the firecracker Kunur, who's humble, um, who knows what she wants, and is very invested in her self-worth, and then giving back to the community by instilling creativity. You're making creativity more accessible through your approach of organizational improv, Kunur. And I'm really impressed with the fact that you can find joy in quitting things. That's a very interesting concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely, you know, if it's if it's in the spirit of progress, you know, and going after what you want, you know, I think that is, how could that not be positive? <laughs> yeah. I know. Mm -hmm. So what is your parting thought being on Career Startup Podcast? And why do you think people should listen to the show? Oh, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to admit to a failure of mine and I've, I've been very slow over the years to kind of find like Asian and South Asian kind of community. And, um, and I'm really grateful for Carry Up Podcast to be, be doing that, you know, and really amplifying each other, you know, and I think that's so important. And I've had a lot of my own assumptions, you know, trumped in the past few years. And I, um, yeah, and so I, I think it's just a wonderful, uh, wonderful way to kind of get to see that there are more of us out there than you think, you know, and there's more of us 
rabble rousers, you know, who aren't always doing the right thing, you know, as ordained by our culture or our parents. You know, I think it's really great to find more and more of us like that. And so I think your podcast really, really helps de, uh, you know, get rid of some of the assumptions that even we have about ourselves, you know, um, let alone others. Um, and also just one of the best prepared interviewers ever. Priyanka, thank you so much. Yeah, it's been so easy and fun and I felt very, uh, taken care of. So thank you. Oh, that's wonderful. I was just about to ask, you know, as somebody who's put her improv hat on for the first time on a podcast, <laughs> what did you think of my skills? Do I have a future in improv? Yes, you do. Absolutely. Really excellent listening skills. Excellent listening skills. Yeah. And that's thank the hardest you. thing to get better at. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I feel good about it because that's a skill set that I'm trying to improve myself on mm -hmm. because as somebody who loves to talk, listening is just like a, you know, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it can be tiring. It can be tiring too when you're like really listening to someone. It, you can notice that you feel tired afterwards. So I know, but that's the best part of our podcast. And we are at the end of our show. So thank you so much, Kunur, for being an awesome guest. And I've really enjoyed getting to know more about Kunur, the person behind uh, you know, the CEO hat and things that you do for fun and the improv side as well, uh, improv side uh, of you as well. So thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Thank you. Thank you. But before I let you go, we want to announce the winner of our free mentoring session. Excellent. Drum roll. Are our listeners excited for that? And I'm going to... I'm looking at the list of comments to figure out who that lucky winner is going to be. <laughs> who can benefit from your mentorship? Let's go with Anu Bhatt. Oh, great. Hi, Anu. Anu for a thoughtful question about, you know, how do you really embrace improv? And I think it will be a great session for her to get to know more wonderful tips about it as well. Yeah, yeah, I knew. I so look forward to chatting with you and maybe we can even do some practice uh, improv activities during our chat. We would love that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank you so much, Anu, for tuning in. And thank you for our wonderful listeners. I wanted to acknowledge Janani Rangarajan and Rubinia Borch for the thoughtful questions as well and the comments. And until another episode with another interesting guest, this is your host, Priyanka Kumla, signing off from Karib Startup Podcast, a podcast to spotlight world-class Asian leaders, entrepreneurs, C-suite executives who provide insights from their personal journey to inspire you. And do remember to subscribe to us by following me, Priyanka Kumla, on LinkedIn, for your LinkedIn Live notifications, as well as our Curry Up Startup podcast page to engage with guests. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And I wanted to acknowledge that Anubat is also looking forward for that free mentoring session. <laughs> so until another episode, which is going to happen tomorrow at noon Eastern, feel free to check out our other episodes on our different podcast streaming platforms, as well as, well as our website at priyankakomla.com. Thank you so much. And everybody have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you.